Chapter 4, Part 2 of A History of the Philippines. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A History of the Philippines by David Barrows. Chapter 4, Part 2. Spain takes possession of the new lands. Of these newly found islands and whatever wealth they might be found to contain, Spain claimed the possession by right of discovery. And of the European nations, it was Spain which first began the exploration and colonization of America. Spain was now free from her long Mohammedan wars, and the nation was being united under Ferdinand and Isabella. The Spaniards were brave, adventurous, and too proud to engage in commerce or agriculture, but ready enough to risk life and treasure in quest of riches abroad. The Spaniards were devotedly religious, and the church encouraged conquest that missionary work might be extended. So Spain regained her career that was soon to make her the foremost power of Europe and one of the greatest colonial empires the world has seen. It is amazing what the Spaniards accomplished in the fifty years following Columbus's first voyage. Hispaniola was made the center from which the Spaniards extended their explorations to the continents of both North and South America. On these islands of the West Indies, they found a great tribe of Indians, the Caribs, that were fierce and cruel. The Spaniards waged a warfare of extermination against them, killing many and enslaving others for work in the mines. The Indian proved unable to exist as a slave and his sufferings drew the attention of a Spanish priest, Las Casas, who, by vigorous efforts at the court, succeeded in having Indian slavery abolished and African slavery introduced to take its place. This remedy was in the end worse than the disease, for it gave an immense impetus to the African slave trade and people America with a race of Africans in bondage. Other Spanish Explorations and Discoveries Meanwhile, the Spanish soldier, with incredible energy, courage, and daring, pushed his conquests. In 1513, Florida was discovered, and in the same year, Balboa crossed the narrow isthmus of Panama and saw the Pacific Ocean. Contrary to what is often supposed, he did not dream of its vast extent, but supposed it to be a narrow body of water lying between Panama and the Asian islands. He named it the South Sea a name that survived after its true character was revealed by Magellan. Then followed the two most romantic and surprising conquests of colonial history, that of Mexico by Cortes in 1521, and of Peru by Pizarro in 1533-34. These great countries were inhabited by Indians, the most advanced and cultured on the American continents. And here, the Spaniards found enormous treasures of gold and silver, then the discovery of the mines of Potosí opened the greatest source of the precious metal that Europe had ever known. Spaniards flocked to the New World, and in New Spain, as Mexico was called, was established a great viceroyalty. Year after year, enormous wealth was poured into Spain from these American possessions. Emperor Charles V Meanwhile, great political power had been added to Spain in Europe. In 1520, the throne of Spain fell to a young man, Charles, the grandson of Ferdinand and Isabella. His mother was Juana, the Spanish princess, and his father was Philip the Handsome of Burgundy, 
Philip the Handsome was the son of Maximilian, the Archduke of Austria. Now, it curiously happened that the thrones of each of these three countries was left without other hires than Charles, and in 1520 he was King of Spain, Archduke of Austria, and Duke of Burgundy, and the Low Countries, including the rich commercial cities of Holland and Belgium. In addition to all this, the German princes elected him German Emperor, and although he was King Charles I of Spain, he is better known in history as Emperor Charles V. Note 1. The classical work on this famous ruler is Robertson's Life of Charles V, but the student should consult the possible more recent works. End of Note 1. He was then an untried boy of twenty years, and no one expected to find in him a man of resolute energy, cold persistence, and great executive ability. But so he proved, and this was the man that made of Spain the greatest power of the time. He was in constant warfare. He fought four wars with King Francis I of France, five wars with the Turks, both in the Danube Valley and in Africa, and an unending succession of contests with the Protestant princes of Germany. For Charles saw, besides many other important changes, the rise of Protestantism and the revolt of Germany, Switzerland, and England from Catholicism. The first event in his emperorship was the assembling of the famous German Diet at Worms, where was tried and condemned the real founder of the Protestant religion, Martin Luther. The Voyage of Ferdinand Magellan In the meantime, a way had at least been found to reach the Orient from Europe by sailing west. This discovery, the greatest voyage ever made by man, was accomplished in 1521 by the fleet of Ferdinand Magellan. Magellan was a Portuguese who had been in the east with Albuquerque. He had fought with the Malays in Malacca and had helped to establish the Portuguese power in India. On his return to Portugal, the injustice of the court drove him from his native country and he entered the service of Spain. Charles V commissioned him to attempt a voyage of discovery down the coast of South America with the hope of finding a passage to the east. This was Magellan's great hope and fruit, fate, that south of the new continent of America must lie a passage westward by which ships could sail to China. As long as Portugal was able to keep close the African route to all other ships than her own, the discovery of some other way was imperative. On the 20th of September, 1519, Magellan's fleet of five ships sailed from Sanlúcar, the seaport of the city of Seville, where were equipped the Spanish colonial fleets. On November the 29th, they reached the coast of Brazil and then coasted southward. They traded with the natives and at the mouth of Rio de la Plata stayed some days to fish. The weather grew rapidly colder and more stormy as they went farther south and Magellan decided to stop and winter in the Bay of San Julián. Here, the cold of the winter, the storms, and the lack of food caused a conspiracy among his captains to mutiny and return to Spain. Magellan acted swiftly and with terrible energy. He captured one of the mutinous, mutinous vessels, and the chief conspirator was stabbed by the constable Espinosa. The rest surrendered. One leader was executed, and two others were marooned, or left to their fate on the shore. The Straits of Magellan The fleet sailed southward again in August, but it was not until November the 1st, 1520, that Magellan entered the long and tortuous straits that bear his name and which connect the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. 
South of them were great bleak islands, cold and desolate. They were inhabited by Indians, who are probably the lowest and most wretched savages on the earth. They live on fish and mussels. As they go at all times naked, they carry with them in their boots brands and coals of fire. Seeing the numerous lights on the shore, Magellan named these islands Tierra del Fuego, the land of fire. For thirty days the ships struggled with the current and shifting winds that prevailed in this channel, during which time one ship deserted and returned to Spain. Another had been lost, and only three passed out onto the boundless waters on the Pacific. Westward on the Pacific Ocean But we must not make the mistake of supposing that Magellan and his followers imagined that a great ocean confronted them. They expected that simply sailing northward to a latitude of the Spice Islands would bring them to these desired places. This they did, and then turned westward, expecting each day to find the Indies, but no land appeared. The days lengthened into weeks, the weeks into months, and still they went forward, carried by the trade winds, over a sea so smooth and free from tempests that Magellan named it the Pacific. But they suffered horribly from lack of food, even eating in their starvation the leather slings of the masts. It was a terrible trial of their courage. Twenty of their number died. The South Pacific is studded with islands, but curiously the route lay just too far north to behold them. From November 28, when they emerged from the Straits of Magellan, until March the 7th, when they reached the Ladrones, they encountered only two islands, and these were small uninhabited rocks with a water of food, which in their bitter disappointment they named the unfortunate islands. The Ladrone Islands their relief must have been inexpressible when, on coming up to land on March the 7th, they found inhabitants and food, jams, coconuts, and rice. At these islands, the Spaniards first saw the prow, which is light, outrigger, and pointed sail. So numerous were these craft that they named the group Las Islas de las Velas, the Islands of Sails. But the uh, loss of a ship's boat and other annoying thefts led the sailors to designate the islands Los Ladrones, the Thieves, a name which they still retain. The Philippine Islands, Samar Leaving the Ladrones, Magellan sailed on westward looking for the Moluccas, and the first land that he sighted was the eastern coast of Samar. Pigafetta says, Saturday the 16th of March, we sighted an island which was very lofty mountains. Soon after, we learned that it was Zamal, distant 300 leagues from the islands of the Ladrones. Note 1. Primer viaje alrededor del mundo. Spanish translation by Amoretti, Madrid, 1899, page 27. Homonhan. On the following day, the sea-worn expedition landed on the little uninhabited island south of Samar, which Pigafetta called Humunu, and which is still known as Homonhan or Jomonjo. It was while staying in this little island that the Spaniards saw the natives of the Philippines. A prow which contained nine men approached their ship. They saw other boats fishing near and learned that all of these people came from the island of Suluan, which lies off to the eastward from Jomonjol, about 20 kilometers. In their life and appearance, these fishing people were much like the present Samalaut of southern Mindanao 
and the Sulu archipelago. Limasawa. Picafero says that they stayed on the island of Yomoyol eight days, but had great difficulty in securing food. The natives brought them a few coconuts and oranges, palm wine, and a chicken or two, but this was all that could be spared. So, on the 25th, the Spaniards sailed again, and near the south end of Leyte, landed on the little island of Limasawa. Here there was a village, where they met two chieftains, whom Pigafetta calls kings, and whose names were Raja Calambu and Raja Siagu. These two chieftains were visiting Limasawa and had their residences, one at Butuan and one at Cagayan on the island of Mindanao. Some histories have stated that the Spaniards accompanied one of these chieftains to Butuan, but this does not appear to have been the case. On the island of Limasawa, the natives had dogs, cats, hogs, goats, and fowls. They were cultivating rice, maize, breadfruit, and had also coconuts, oranges, bananas, citron, and ginger. Pigafera tells how he visited one of the chieftains at his home on the shore. The house was built as Filipino houses are today, raised on posts and thatched. Pigafera thought it looked like a haystack. It had been the day of St. Lazarus when the Spaniards first reached these islands, so that Magellan gave to the group the name of the archipelago of St. Lazarus, the name under which the Philippines were frequently described in their early writings, although another title, Islas del Poniente, or Islands of the West, was more common up to the time when the title Filipinas became fixed. Cebu Magellan's people were now getting desperately in need of food, and the population of Limasawa had very inadequate supplies. Consequently, the natives directed him to the island of Cebu and provided him with guides. Leaving Limasawa, the fleet sailed for Cebu, passing several large islands, among them Bohol, and reaching Cebu harbor on Sunday, the 7th of April. A junk from Siam was anchored at Cebu when Magellan's ships arrived there. And this, together with the knowledge that the Filipinos showed of the surrounding countries, including China on the one side and the Moluccas on the other, is additional evidence of the extensive trade relations at the time of the discovery. Cebu seems to have been a large town, and it is reported that more than 2,000 warriors with their lances appeared to resist the landing of the Spaniards, but assurances of friendliness finally won the Filipinos, and Magellan formed a compact with the Dato of Cebu, whose name was Humabon. The Blood Compact The Dato invited Magellan to seal this compact in accordance with a curious custom of the Filipinos. Each chief wounded himself in the breast, and from the wound each sucked and drank the other's blood. It is not certain whether Magellan participated in this blood compact, as it has been called, but later it was observed many times in the Spanish settlement of the islands, especially by Legazpi. The natives were much struck by the service of the mass, which the Spaniards celebrated on their landing, and after some encouragement desired to be admitted to the Spaniards' religion. More than 800 were baptized, including Humabon. The Spaniards established a kind of factory or trading post on Cebu, and for some time a profitable trade was engaged in. The Filipinos were well understood training, had scales, weights, and measures, and were fair dealers. Death of Magellan And now follows the great tragedy of the expedition. The Dato of Cebu, 
or the Christian king, as Pirafeta called their new ally, was at war with the islanders of Mactan. Magellan, eager to assist one who had adopted the Christian faith, landed on Mactan with 50 men, and in the battle that ensued was killed by a wound in the arm and spear thrusts through the breast. So died the one who was unquestionably the greatest explorer and most daring adventurer of all time. Thus, says Pigafetta, perished our guide, our light, and our support. It was the crowning disaster of the expedition. The fleet visits other islands. After Magellan's death, the natives of Cebu rose and killed the newly elected leader, Serrano, and the fleet in fear lifted its anchors and sailed southward from the Visayas. They had lost 35 men, and their numbers were reduced to 115. One of the ships was burned, there being too few men surviving to handle three vessels. After touching off western Mindanao, they sailed westward and saw a small group of Cagayan Sulu. The few inhabitants there learned were Moros exiled from Borneo. They landed on an island called Puluan, hence Palawan, where they observed the sport of cockfighting indulged in by the natives. From here, still searching for the Moluccas, they were guided to Borneo, the present city of Brunei. Here was the powerful Mohammedan colony, whose adventurers were already in communication with Luzon and had established a colony on the side of Manila. The city was divided into two sections, that of the Mohammedan Malays, the conquerors, and that of the Daeks, the primitive population of the islands. Pigafetta explains over the riches and power of this Mohammedan city. It contained 25,000 families, the houses built for most part on piles over the water, the king's house was of stone, and beside it was a great brick fort with over 60 brass and iron cannon. Here the Spaniards saw elephants and camels, and there was a rich trade in ginger, camphor, gums, and in pearls from Sulu. Hostilities cut short their state here, and they sailed eastward along the north coast of Borneo through the Sulu archipelago, where their cupidity was excited by the pearl fisheries and on to Mindanao. Here they took some prisoners who piloted them south to the Moluccas and finally, on November 8, they anchored at Tidor. These Molucca islands, at this time, were at the height of the Malayan power. The ruler, or Raja of Tidor, was Almanzar, or Ternati, Korala. The king of Jilolo was Joseph. With all these rulers, the Spaniards exchanged presents, and the Rajas are said by the Spaniards to have sworn perpetual amnesty to the Spaniards and acknowledged themselves vassals of the king. In exchange for clothes, the Spaniards laid in a rich cargo of cloves, sandalwood, ginger, cinnamon, and gold. They established here a trading post and hoped to hold these islands against the Portuguese. They returned to Spain. It was decided to send one ship, the Victoria, to Spain by way of the Portuguese route and the Cape of Good Hope, while the other would return to America. Accordingly, the Victoria, with a little crew of 60 men, 13 of them natives, under the command of Juan Sebastián Elcano, set sail. The passage was unknown to the Spaniards and full of perils. They sailed to Timor and thence out into the Indian Ocean. 
they rounded Africa, sailing as far south as 42 degrees. Then they went northward, in constant peril of capture by some Portuguese fleet, encountering storms extreme and with scarcity of food. The distress must have been extreme, for on this final passage, 21 of their small number died. At Cape Verde Islands, they entered the port for supplies, trusting that at so northern a point, their real voyage would not be suspected. But some one of the party, who went ashore for food, in an hour of intoxication, boasted of the wonderful journey they had performed and showed some of the products of the Spice Islands. Immediately, the Portuguese governor gave orders for the seizure of the Spanish vessel and Alcano, learning of his danger, left his men who had gone on shore, raised sail, and put out for Spain. On the 6th of September, 1522, they arrived at Sanlúcar, at the mouth of the Guadalquivir River, on which is situated Seville, one ship out of five, and eighteen men out of a company of 234, who had set sail almost three full years before. Spain welcomed her worn and tired seamen with a splendid acclaim. To Alcano was given a title of nobility, and the famous coat of arms showing the sprays of club, cinnamon, and nutmeg, and the effigy of the glove with the motto, the proudest and worthiest ever displayed on any adventurous shield. Primus circumdendistimi. The first circumnavigation of the earth. Thus, with enormous suffering and loss of life, was accomplished the first circumnavigation of the earth. It proved that Asia could be reached, although by a long and circuitous route, by sailing westward from Europe. It made known to Europe that the greatest of all oceans lies between the New World and Asia, and it showed that the earth is incomparably larger than had been believed and supposed. It was the greatest voyage of discovery that has ever been accomplished, and greater that can ever be performed again. New lands divided between Spain and Portugal. By this discovery of the Philippines and a new way to the Spice Islands, Spain became engaged in a long dispute with Portugal. At the beginning of the modern age, there was in Europe no system of rules by which to regulate conduct between states. That system of regulations and customs, which we call international law, and by which states at the present time are guided in their dealings, had not arisen. During the Middle Age, disputes between sovereigns were frequently settled by reference to the emperor or to the pope, and the latter had frequently asserted his right to determine all such questions as might arise. The pope also had claimed to have the right of disposing of all heathen and newly descendant peoples. So, after discovery of the West Indies by Columbus, on request of the court of Spain, Pope Alexander VI divided the new lands between them. He declared that all newly discovered countries to the west of a meridian 100 leagues west of the Azores and Cape Verde Islands should be Spanish possessions. A year later, Spain agreed with Portugal to shift this line to the meridian 370 leagues west of Cape Verde Islands. This division carried on the same meridian around the globe, resulted in giving India and Malaysia to Portugal, and all the New World except Brazil to Spain. As a matter of fact, 180 degrees west of the meridian, finally agreed upon, extended to the west there and part of the New Guinea, and not quite to the Moluccas, 
but in the absence of exact geographical knowledge, both parties claimed despised islands. Portugal denied to Spain all right to the Philippines as well, and, as we shall see, a conflict in the Far East began, which lasted nearly through the century. Portugal captured the traders whom Elcano had left at the door, and broke up the Spanish station in the Spice Islands. The Trinidad, the other ship, which was intended to return to America, was unable to sail against the strong winds, and had to put back to the door, after cruising through the waters about New Guinea. Effect of the Century of Discoveries This circumnavigation of the globe completed a period of discovery which had begun a hundred years before with the timid, slow attempts of at the Portuguese along the coast of Africa. In these years, a new era had opened. At its beginning, the European knew little of any peoples outside of his own countries, and he held scarcely any land outside the continent of Europe. At the end of a hundred years, the earth had become fairly well known. The African race, the Malay peoples, the American Indians, and the Pacific Islanders had been seen and described, and from now on the history of the white race was to be connected with that of these other races. The age of colonization, of worldwide trade and intercourse, had begun. The white man, who had heretofore been narrowly pressed in upon Europe, threatened again and again with conquest by the Mohammedan, was now to cover the seas with his fleets and all lands with his power. End of chapter 4, part 2